This is CNBC's The Brave Ones podcast with Dominic Chu. We were inspired by what Bono and others had done with the Make Poverty History campaign in the UK and around the world. And so we said, could we bring Make Poverty History to Australia? And this was, um, I think, second or third year of university. And my mate Dan Adams, who was studying at university with me at the time, he said, could we run this concert called the Make Poverty History Concert? And we were both a very ambitious group of kids. So we said, okay, let's get to it. And so we started, we asked everyone, this was even before um, real social media had kicked off. This is when MySpace had just started, literally. And so we all had a MySpace account. So we asked the head of MySpace, could they back us and put us on every single channel? They agreed to. We asked all the best Australian artists, would they perform for free? And they agreed to. We asked um, the telecommunications company Optus, would they sponsor us? And they amazingly agreed to. That was Hugh Evans, founder and CEO of Global Citizen, which is a social platform that teaches people about the extreme poverty around the world. And it shows them what they can do to help eradicate it, then rewards those global citizens for taking action. Those rewards, they include tickets to the Global Citizen Festival, which is an annual music fest in New York's Central Park that features the biggest artists in music. Hugh's humanitarian work is the reason why he's featured on The Brave Ones, CNBC International series that celebrates successful risk-takers from around the world. Hugh was kind of talking about that first concert he ever put on as a college student back in his home country of Australia, and this is going back to 2006. As you heard, the concert was booked. He had many of the top acts in Australia on the bill, and it was, yes, sold out. And then he got a call from someone who was looking to join the lineup. Then one day I was at university studying away and I got a phone call from Bono's team and it was Paul McGuinness and, and his team calling with their thick Irish accent, Bono, uh, U2's manager, and they said, hey boys, we're coming to Melbourne and Bono wants to perform at your Make Poverty History concert. And we thought the whole thing was a prank call because we couldn't believe it. It was beyond our wildest imagination in those days. And he said, um, and he wants to perform with Pearl Jam, is that okay? And we're like, of course it's okay. <laughs> and uh, they came on first onto the bill and sang Neil Young's Rockin' in the Free World. And all of a sudden the event got international attention as the BBC and CNN picked it up. And a million Australian people, a million Australian citizens bought our white armband. And uh, you know, we partnered with World Vision, Oxfam, Save the Children, UNICEF. It was like everyone was at it together as part of this whole coalition, all committed to this cause that was greater than every single one of us. And that was when the politics started to follow because when you had all these young people, plus you had all these, you know, we call them soccer mums, committed to this cause at the same time, all of a sudden politicians start to take notice. So that's just one of the amazing things that Hugh Evans has done and the reason why he is a brave one. So Betsy Alexander, executive producer of The Brave Ones, and Kevin Kane, who produced the Hugh Evans episode, are here with us to kind of break down Hugh Evans as one of those massive personalities in this world. And, and, and guys, that first concert, it was going to coincide with the G20 meeting that was taking place in Melbourne. Now, they already had a pretty good lineup in place. They had um, you know, some Australian acts, and, uh, including Jet, and they were ready to go. I mean, it was a big deal already, and that's when Hugh got that call. Let's talk a little bit about, I mean, how, how he got to that stage, right? I mean, how did he get to that, that point where he was organizing this, this massive event, this massive undertaking? And, and you think about it, 
This is this is something that just people have a knack for. They have to have a knack for it because you don't get to put on an event like that at that kind of an age with that kind of experience without having some inherent talent. He was just a regular kid from the suburbs of Melbourne. He went to a nice private school. He like worked at McDonald's. Then at 12, a woman spoke at his school about a fundraising event called the 40-Hour Famine. So Hugh got really excited, and when, within two years, he organizes his school to raise the most amount of money in all of Australia. And as a result, he won a trip with the group called World Vision to see how that money was being used to help people. During that trip, he spent a night in the slums of Manila in a place called Smoky Mountain, which was essentially a garbage dump. It's dwellings that are on, built on top of a landfill. Hugh was put in the care of a family who had a, had a son named Sonny Boy. And Sonny Boy was a gang leader. He was like a, he was a scrapper on the mountain. And he took Hugh around and showed him around. And that night on Smoky Mountain affected Hugh in a major way. I think at the time, Hugh didn't even realize that this one night was going to change his whole life. I guess I didn't really feel scared until the night we went to Smoky Mountain. That, 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 that uh, scared me because it's funny, you know, you, you always have a sense of, of yourself and what you and your possessions and things like that until you don't really have a sense of that anymore. And, and, I, and, and I remember that night going into Smoky Mountain and I was placed in the care of Sonny Boy and his family. and. We went to his small uh, shanty hut that was built on top of the rubbish dump in, in, in Smoky Mountain. It was a whole incredible experience. Like I remember the slums of, uh, of Smoky Mountain were piled up what seemed like miles high, you know, uh, shanty on top of shanty on top of shanty. And uh, walking through these narrow streets and, and with him by my side, I guess I felt safe in, in some respects. I think probably the fact that he they was introduced to me as a gang leader made me feel a bit safer, <laughs> even though he was probably only 14 or 15, so he couldn't have been much older than I was. Yeah, so Hugh comes back from this trip, and he tells his mom, I know what I want to do with my life. I want to end extreme poverty in the world. I had no idea yeah. what I was going to do with my life. I, I, I was probably 23 and didn't have any idea what I wanted to do with my life. <laughs> I maybe, still don't know. Right, exactly. I mean, I'm, it's, it's pretty amazing at that age. Hugh's mom, who you would think would be kind of a nun-like figure, that she's you know, given birth to this uh, amazing humanitarian. She's actually a very cool lady, very funny. She was telling us about why she let Hugh go to Manila. And she said she was nervous. She was actually scared, but she was very proud of him. She could see that this was something that meant a lot to him. And then when he came back and he told her about Sonny Boy, she realized that this was really going to have an impact on his life. I don't think I could actually put into words what Manila and Sonny Boy did for Hugh. Um, Sonny Boy changed Hugh's life. He's part of our family folklore, our, our story. Um, Hugh being on Smoky Mountain with Sonny Boy, surrounded by cockroaches uh, and not sleeping at all, changed Hugh forever. And as Hugh would say, the ovarian lottery of life, where he's in queue and Sonny Boy's in Manila on Smoky Mountain on a rubbish dump, changed Hugh forever. And it changed actually our whole family for the better. When he left Smoky Mountain, uh, Sonny Boy had given him the, the means in which to contact him and he had written it down on a piece of paper, stuck it in his pocket. And when he got home, his mom did the laundry and he completely lost any way of being able to contact Sonny Boy after that. Right. So he comes back 
And uh, he tells his mom that he wants to go study in India at this place called the Woodstock School. So he does that. She's, she allows him to go. The Woodstock School is in the Himalayan mountains. On the weekends, he goes and volunteers at Mother Teresa's orphanage, right? Like this, this is what he's doing with his weekends. I mean, um, that would surprise me, but just just <laughs> just knowing the 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 context of of Hugh Evans and his story, and seeing the, you know seeing the production, seeing the video, seeing his story, it kind of just seems like par for the course. This is right. just what this guy would do. Right. He would already be in a charitable situation, and then find his free time, what little <laughs> there is, to go and be more charitable by the time it was done. Right, right. After high school, he goes into law school, but decides to defer uh, and goes to work in South Africa at an orphanage for kids who have been orphaned by HIV, AIDS, and uh, violence in the region. And this is when his good deeds start to attract some really big name celebrities. That year was just remarkable. Between working um, at the orphanage every single day, I helped them set up a child sponsorship program from scratch, and we actually took that program and pitched it to Oprah Winfrey. And uh, Oprah came back to the orphanage and did this huge Christmas special at God's Golden Acre, and it went on sponsoring a whole bunch of the kids herself. After South Africa, he goes back to Australia and he starts something called the Oak Tree Foundation. And what the Oak Tree Foundation is, was organization of kids doing charity work. They were raising money to, to build schools back in South Africa, where he just came from. And they happened to raise millions of dollars. They were doing really well. And then at some point, uh, somebody said to them, you know, what you're doing is great. You're raising money. But you know who has more money than anybody? It's the government. And that's when they decided that if they could attract the, the world's attention to the fact that many, many young people care about this, then it would force governments to also weigh in and do something about it. And that was when he started with his first concert, which you heard about a little bit earlier in the show, and that attracted names like Bono and Pearl Jam, et cetera, et cetera. But Oak Tree still exists. Hughes, Hughes Foundation still exists. It's one of the largest youth organizations in Australia. He was asked by uh, the Australian Prime Minister, Kevin Rudd, to attend a summit about the future of the country. And while he was there, he met another celebrity who has... Shocking. Shocking. He is a funny story about meeting this celebrity, the um, Wolverine himself, Hugh Jackman, and uh, they've been working together ever since. After the success of the Make Poverty History campaign, Kevin Rudd had asked me to co-chair this thing called the 2020 Youth Summit. And... Hugh Jackman was the chair, was, was the moderator of, of the 2020 summit where all these prominent Australian business people were coming together, a thousand of them to Canberra. And when we're up there, because I was running the youth summit and he was running, Hugh Jackman was running the main one, he, one day he mistook me for a waiter. I was there just wearing a white shirt and he asked me, could I have a drink? And so I brought him a drink and uh, we ended up having a conversation about the end of extreme poverty. The following night he invited me to go and see the set of Wolverine in Sydney. And so I went up there and met his wife, Deb, and, and we, we went over to the island that they were filming Wolverine, and I was blown away, and we became fast friends. So this was the beginning of Hugh Jackman and Hugh Evans working together. Hugh Jackman has been involved with Global Citizen ever since. He has hosted the festival around the world, and even this year, 2019, he hosted the Global Citizen Festival in New York City with his wife. You ever wonder what 60,000 people trying to change the world sounds like? Hello, Global Citizen! 
Hugh Jackman has gone so far as to talk about his meeting and his relationship with Hugh Evans, even insofar as when he was on the Today Show. Hugh is the yeah. follow-through guy. When I met him, when he was literally eight years old, no, about <laughs> he said, I want to end extreme poverty in my lifetime. You're and amazing. I believed it. And he's yeah. Doing it. Well, congrats. You all are doing it. So Hugh, Hugh Evans decides that what he wants to do to try to, to, to help achieve this goal of his, he's going to go around and give these speeches. He was heavily inspired by Al Gore's An Inconvenient Truth. So he decided he was going to go around to universities and anyone who would listen, he was going to give that same type of presentation around poverty instead of uh, global warming. So that's what he started to do. And Hugh Jackman was one of the first people to invite him into his home to give this presentation that he'd created. To, and, you know, Hugh Jackman brought in his, some of his celebrity friends and his kind of movement really started to build. It really started to grow. So he and his wife, who he met at Cambridge, they moved to New York. I moved to New York as soon as uh, we'd graduated from university. So I met my wife at Cambridge, Taniella, and uh, I asked her to marry me after we'd been dating for about a year or so. And I, w I knew she was the one, so to speak. I just knew it. She's absolutely amazing. And we literally finished our honeymoon and flew straight into New York. And I had a speech that day at Columbia University. I'm speaking to a whole group of social entrepreneurs. And we moved to New York because we knew that New York was the epicenter of social change, given the United Nations is based here, the proximity to Washington and the World Bank and, and Congress, the, the fact that it is a global city, that the Statue of Liberty itself represents, give me your poor, your tired, your huddled masses longing to be free that this, 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 this city itself represents the very ethos of being a global citizen. And we knew that if the United States maintained its large commitment to foreign aid, as, as historically this has been a bipartisan issue, whether it's been Obama or Bush, they've all increased foreign aid because they believe in this as a bipartisan issue. We knew that if that could continue and that the investment went to the right areas, that actually this vision of a world without extreme poverty by 2030 could become a reality. And we knew that the only way we would do that is if we had a true movement of citizens across America to achieve that goal. And so we moved to the US literally with that dream. And on the first day we arrived, had this speech up at Columbia and Ryan Gall, one of our festival co-founders was in the audience. And he came up to me after the speech and he said, Hugh, we, and he was there with another guy, Bobby Bailey. and. We had lunch together and they said, let's, let's do, like they, they saw what we did with Make Poverty History. They said, could we replicate that here in America? Could we do this enormous concert that was in the heart of New York City during the UN General Assembly meeting that brought together a range of charities under one umbrella working together for something greater than all of us? And uh, so that became the, the vision. We kicked it off and we had nothing. I still look back at those days, and this wasn't that long ago. This was like seven years ago. And we literally were working out of a broom closet on Lafayette Street because an advertising agency called Droga Fiverr donated their broom closet to us. And from out of that broom closet, guys, I mean, Hugh and the team created this amazing concept, this vehicle to kind of carry this moving forward. So he's this young guy from Australia, doesn't know his way around America, and decides to come to New York and throw a huge concert right in the middle of Central Park. Yeah, talk about a and, small undertaking. <laughs> and so many people told him he couldn't do it, and he did it. I think people didn't actually believe he would pull it off. Um, there were 
many um, people who managed acts who basically said to him, sure, if you can get it in Central Park, my act will be there. And then the rest is history. The Foo Fighters and a whole bunch of other artists that were managed by the legendary music manager, John Silver, had said that they would perform for free if we could get Central Park. And we had this letter signed by John Silver saying, all of my artists will perform for free if you get Central Park. So once we got Central Park, I took this back to John and he didn't actually think we would get it. And so, so from, there, um, from there, our luck started to change. But I mean, pulling off, I mean, you know, New York City is expensive, you know, and no doubt about it. And trying to pull it off in the first year I didn't even know how we ended up doing it, to be honest, because we had to raise so much money. And I remember we thought we'd secured one sponsor that pulled out at the 11th hour, and I thought, it's all over, it's not gonna happen. And I remember we were in LA at the time trying to find sponsors for the event, and it just felt like we'd reached this precipice where nothing was gonna happen from here. I remember so vividly one night just praying, I was like, God, just please bless us with this event. And the next day we woke up and Sumner Redstone invited us to come to his house. Uh, one of our head of sponsorship had, had somehow reached out to hear one of his friends and he took a meeting with us. No kidding, he wrote a check for $1.5 million on the spot. And a few hours later, Elliot, who's Neil Young's manager, said Neil Young is on the phone and wants to speak to you guys. So we drove frantically over to his office and he, he called us from Hawaii where Neil Young was at the time and he said, yeah, I'll, I'll headline Central Park. This was August. The festival was meant to take place in September. So within days, within days, we worked with our friends at Golden Voice and, and kicked off the first ever Global Citizen Festival on the Great Lawn of Central Park. And it coincided with the UN meeting. We were able to rally 60,000 young people to the Great Lawn. And the movement started to build from there. And we never thought it was gonna be, become something we did ever again. Because the first year was so ridiculously challenging that we thought that was gonna be it. And we woke up, exhausted after all of that. And a few days later, Rob Light, who was Stevie Wonder's agent, said, Stevie Wonder wants to headline year two. And we said, there isn't a year two. You know, we, we couldn't, we could barely do year one. <laughs> and he said, now there is. <laughs> Even from the beginning, from concert zero, concert one, it was all about no cost, right? No it cost. About, it was about raising awareness. It was about motivating people to kind of come together and understand what these concepts were. And so now you've actually amplified it, not just by being free, but you actually have to do something non-monetary in terms of effort to earn your way into these series. Global Citizen puts on more than one concert per year. They put on the concerts in Central Park, but they also put on very large concerts around the world. When we were shooting our episode in 2017, one of their concerts was in Hamburg. And um, it was uh, set, set to be at the same time as the G20. So Hamburg at that time was basically a tale of two cities. Kevin went over to um, shoot with... Um, to film with Hugh behind the scenes at the concert. But on the other side of town, there were tons of protests going on um, all around the G20. Around 12,000 protesters greeted arriving heads of state with a message, welcome to hell. Anti-capitalist protesters clashing with police in riot gear, smoke bombs, pepper spray, and water cannons, all used to disperse the crowd. And so it was kind of interesting that you'd see footage of the, of, of the city at the time, and you'd see tear gas and water hoses 
houses and you'd see all of the various news reporters from all the networks on the one part of town. And the other part of town, you see this mass of kids very peacefully assembling for this fantastic concert. Everybody make some noise for Mr. Hugh Evans and his dream called Global Citizen. Pharrell was there. Coldplay was headlining. Shakira. Demi Lovato was there. Justin Trudeau showed up. There were cameo appearances by some world leaders. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Norway's prime minister. But it was just like, it was amazing backstage because it's like, you turn and there's uh, Justin Trudeau. Hello, Hamburg! You turn this way and it's uh, Chris Martin from Coldplay. Thank you for everything you did to, to win your tickets and to get your tickets and to be here. We really appreciate it. I know everyone appreciates it. And everybody's like smiling and everybody is just upbeat in, in the arena. We had the opportunity to talk briefly, very briefly, with Ellie Goulding. It's really an honor to be here. You're also incredible. And who has done some, some of these other Global Citizen concerts. And she told us why she started, uh, why she got involved with Global Citizen in the first place. I got involved with Global Citizen um, a few years back um, because I felt like it was an incredible idea to have people uh, sort of earn their right to come and watch um, their favorite music. And uh, I love the idea of a community of people all doing something within their community to contribute to making the world a better place. And you know, there are lots of festivals all over the world, but I think this one is particularly unique for that reason. And I think it's an incredibly positive thing and I am honored to be involved. Global Citizen, the, 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 the movement has really, as you said, earlier snowballed. It's just become this huge thing. The global citizens themselves have done 23 million actions and have resulted in $37.9 billion in commitments from governments and corporations. And that money has affected the lives of 2.25 billion people throughout the world. So the way Global Citizen actually works is the movement there tries to pressure governments, institutions, companies to change laws and make commitments worth billions of dollars to create uh, systemic change. And Global Citizen teams then monitor those commitments and make sure that they're met. Now, these movements have actually worked on a number of different fronts. They've worked with stars like Rihanna to increase things like school funding around the world. They've done things like help to lower the cost of vaccines for refugee camp children all around the world. They've helped in efforts to eradicate disease like polio all around the world. And they urged major corporations like the Johnson & Johnsons of the world, Walmart, UPS, others to increase contracts with women-owned businesses in their supply chain, which is one of the reasons they think that, that world poverty continues to exist, that, that women-owned businesses can actually help that around the world. You can sense a theme there. They are, they are trying to do this on a massive scale globally. So in 2017, a little bit of Hugh's own life becomes full circle when he's giving a TED Talk. So Global Citizen is, is doing well. He gives a TED Talk in Toronto that is seen by millions of people. Over all these years, I've tried to reconnect with Sonny Boy. Sadly, I've been unable to. We met long before social media, and his address has now been relocated by the authorities, as often happens with slums. I'd love to sit down with him wherever he is and share with him how much the time I spent on Smoky Mountain inspired me. Thanks to him and so many others, I came to understand the importance of being part of a movement of people, the kids willing to look up from their screens and out to the world, the global citizens. Global citizens who stand together, who ask the question why, who reject the naysayers, and embrace the amazing possibilities of the world we share. I'm a global citizen. Are you? 
I mean, you know, he lost his number, had no right. idea how to contact him. You know, this was lost. The, 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 this massive inspiration towards one of the biggest humanitarian lives that has been lived by anybody, certainly in the modern era, had a proximate cause as a teenage kid in Manila, one that you couldn't kind of script out a better reunion for. Well, remember that he was aware of how much Sonny Boy had impacted his life, but Sonny Boy had no idea. So for so long, meeting him has just been a, like a, an idea. And I've always dreamed of meeting him again, but never thought it would actually happen. So after I did my TED talk, a lady from the community in the Philippines that works for a great local NGO reached out to me and said, you'll never believe this, it's a small world, but we think we know who Sunny Boy is. And I was like beside myself. I was like, you've got to be joking. And they sent me through these photos and sure enough, he had the same tattoos that he had in the same photo with me all those years ago on his arm. And I was like, far out, that's unbelievable. And so I just couldn't believe it. Like, I honestly couldn't believe it. So one of the days we were in the Global Citizen office talking about the various people we were interviewing and the production of the show, um, uh, one of Hugh's management team, Andrew Kirk, uh, had just gotten word that they had the opportunity um, to go to the Philippines and um, actually meet Sonny Boy, that Hugh would go and meet him for the first time in all these years. And they asked us if we would want to go and film their reunion. And of course, we said yes. Our crew followed Hugh in a van to the place where Sonny Boy lives. To be back here 20 years later and know that in just an hour or so, I'm going to see Sonny Boy for the first time in 20 years is pretty overwhelming. And Hugh remembered Sonny Boy. He had told the story of Sonny Boy a thousand times. Sonny Boy didn't know all the things that happened in the world because of his influence on Hugh. He had no idea. When you think about all the people that have benefited from Global Citizen, it was because of Hugh being inspired by that first meeting with Sonny Boy. So it was Hugh and our crew, and there was a translator because they didn't speak the same language. So we have one camera on Hugh walking up the street to the meeting location. We have another camera on Sonny Boy, and he's there with his family. And the anticipation is just, it's intense. And when he got out of the van, the moment is so emotional. Thank you, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Every time we've looked at it, and we sat in an edit room for weeks looking at it, I think I've cried every single time I looked at that. He was so thankful to you because it's been so, so long time ago. It's still somebody remember him. Absolutely. Um, can you tell him I'm equally thankful to him because he changed my life? Yeah, I've um, probably told about a hundred million people in the world about you. I've told uh, everyone since since that age, actually, since I was 14, I've told the story of meeting you probably about thousand times. We were curious how Sonny Boy is doing now, now that he's in contact with Hugh and Hugh is helping him out a little bit. And luckily, we got the opportunity. Interestingly enough, um, we, we produce eight episodes of The Brave Ones a year, and we were working this summer on an episode on Ariana Huffington. 
Ariana and Hugh have had a, a long working relationship, and Hugh was kind enough to sit down and um, talk to us a little bit about Ariana and her leadership and her you know, the way she inspires others. And while we were interviewing Hugh, we asked him if he would give us an update on Sunny Boy's life today. Since we last spoke on The Brave Ones, we went to meet Sunny Boy still in Manila at Smoky Mountain. And I'm pleased to report that since then, his life has improved. A couple things that have been really important in his life. Firstly, very recently, he and his wife and their kids were all transferred to a permanent relocation site 40 kilometers away where they've got a brand new house. Um, where they're now living in. His kids are now all in school and Global Citizen set up a small fund to make sure that all of his kids could go to school. Also, we helped him set up a storefront in front of his house so he could sell small goods, food, drinks and other things so that his, his family would have an income. And my wife and I also helped him purchase a motorbike with a carriage, a rickshaw, so that he could basically take other people around the city and earn income from that. And so every morning now he sends me a little message on social media. We bought him a cell phone so he could communicate with us regularly and true to form, he'll send me a photo of his family and update. Uh, he always asked me, he said, Hugh, when are you coming back to the Philippines? I've had to explain to him that the Philippines is very far away from here in New York City, um, but I hope to get back there super soon. Um, and many of our team members have actually been over there recently to visit him. So. We're now in regular touch. I'm sure that there's gonna be many more stories ahead for Sonny Boy, but the good news is his kids are in school, they're learning, he's making a small income. And I think he, from everything he tells me, he's doing really well. This is just the beginning of the Hugh Evans story. Now he's already done so many things, amazing things, and he's not even 40 years old yet. Uh, so our thanks to Kevin and Betsy for some unbelievable storytelling, uh, such vivid, vivid story. Uh, storytelling out there. You can find full TV episodes of The Brave Ones on CNBC International's YouTube channel. And if you like this episode, please subscribe to The Brave Ones podcast on whatever podcast platform you guys choose to. We'll be back next month with another Brave Ones episode.